Before we say any further, we'll just uh, ask God just to be with us in this time. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here this morning once again, and we thank you for your word, and Father, the value of your word to be able to teach us, to show us, to guide us, to lead us. And Father, we just ask you to just be with us in this time. May your Holy Spirit anoint the words that are spoken. May your Holy Spirit have free reign here this morning to do as he will, to open our hearts, ears and mind to show what it is. And the words that will be spoken be anointed by you. We commit the rest of this time to you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So last week, Bob spoke on 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 11. So just a bit of a recap from what I remember from last week. Um, it was a wonderful message, I thought, the way that Bob was able to use the message and then to segue into his final message and then to challenge the church to be a little bit uh, where to go from there. So the things I picked up from it was that Bob spoke of Corinthians being about the gospel. There were no hidden agendas in that gospel. The Corinthians thought there was something there that was in a, in a hidden agenda, but there were no hidden agendas or any extras they need to hear. Paul himself said he was the least of the apostles, one of normally born. And Bob brought out a very point, uh, salient point in that, which was that his, it was the same wording as it used for one that is stillborn, and that was from that as well too. We heard that Jesus had appeared to the other apostles and also to about 500 other people, and that's significant. And we, we must, um, as today we go through the message, that's significant of him, him being um, there bodily with these 500 and the apostles as well. And he challenged us as well, Bob, last week, that Jesus is enough. There doesn't need to be Jesus plus. And in today's society in some churches, in other times, they think there needs to be Jesus and something else, but Jesus is enough. And we're, we're told that as well. The gospel preached is enough. We are not too great as sinners that God cannot save us. Isn't that wonderful to know that? Or that sometimes we think we don't sin as, as much as we do. So there's the two ends of the spectrum, that those things that we, he was um, challenged us with too. And we were also challenged of what we were going to do with this gospel of Jesus. And God loves us. And that's one of his, his um, messages over the eight years, that God loves us more than we know more that we can give our love to him, that God loves us more than we can know. So I've got this, the reading up on the screen this morning, and before I go too far with it, I'll be reading the whole passage coming back from last week as well, from uh, verses 1 to 11 that Bob spoke of, through to verse 34. So if you have your Bibles open or you follow it up on the, on the screen, so the heading in my Bible is in the NIV, The Resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when you received it and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. We could go there and that's it, but now we've got more to say. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have been believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you at first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and he was raised, and on the third day, according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last, he appeared to me 
as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was with no, with not without effect. No, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed. The resurrection of the dead is the next heading in my Bible, and it says before, but it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, in, but he did not raise him in, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are more pitied than any of all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes through man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all were made alive. But each of you has in his own turn Christ, the first fruits then. When he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdoms of God to the Father and after it destroyed all the dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last of the enemies to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this God, this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this then, the Son of himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who have been baptised for the dead? That's an interesting comment, isn't it? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised for them? And as for why us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I die every day, I mean that brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained if the dead are not raised? So let us just eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For you, for there are some of you who are ignorant of God, and I say this to your shame. So there's a lot in that passage. There's a, a few different things that Paul brings up. We'll go through it and have a look at some of these things that Paul brings up. Some of them that, um, like you know, being baptised for the dead and things like that, which are, um, I've never seen anywhere else, and are quite could be controversial. But the reasoning behind Paul's done these things and written about them. So last week and as this week, we go back to verse 1. The gospel is the theme of this message. The gospel being that Jesus 
died for our sins, was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So to to deny any part of that gospel is to take away from the other parts of the gospel. Quote verse 1 again. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and which you have taken your stand. As pointed out last week, that this gospel was preached by the other apostles too, and Paul was one that preached it as well. And um, the thing we need to focus here on verses 5 to 7 in the the early part of this is that... um, that Jesus appeared bodily. He wasn't a spirit. He was a bodily appearance of Jesus. They were able to see him. They were able to touch him. At one stage, he cooked them a meal. Another stage, they gave him a piece of broiled fish to eat. So this is the important thing as we look further along the passage, that Jesus did appear bodily to the people that he saw, and the people that saw him too. Now this comes back to our problem we have in verse 12, that some say there was no resurrection from the dead. The Corinthians, when they said that uh, we believe the gospel you've preached, Paul, we believe that Jesus died for uh, our sins, we believe that he was buried, and we believe he rose again from the dead. But the problem was that they couldn't believe that their own bodies were going to be raised from the dead in the future. So this is where the problem is arising from, what they're saying. And this is what Paul is addressing in this, um, this whole passage here. This idea may come from the Greek philosophy and we see a little snippet of that in Acts chapter 17 where Paul was preaching preaching at the Areopagus in verse 32 and some sneered at what he said when he was talking about resurrection from the dead. So the culture had a different view. They did believe that the spirits may be able to be resurrected from the dead but not to be bodily or physically resurrected from the dead. Now the Greeks uh, didn't believe in a bodily resurrection but... They did believe in some of their heroes and some of their mythology and some of those within that. They were resurrected from the dead from the things that they were able to, to do. But, and they were only worthy of this honour because of what they'd done as that status. But the Corinthians may have also been by the Sadducees or some of the, the Jewish teaching as well too. But we're not really clear where the teaching came from, but it appears that there were those within the church, and this is the important part, they were talking, teaching that there was no resurrection, that uh, man and humans could not be resurrected from the dead. So once again, they'd strayed from the whole gospel and began to admit false teachings into the church. And if we look back over the whole letter to the Corinthians, there's these things that have come into the church bit by bit that they have still grabbed from outside of the, the faith and brought into the church. Once again, we must remember that they were a young church and that Paul needed to be able to put them onto the, uh, onto the right, um, right track about this. So after he's tried to put onto the right path, he puts forward a logical argument. Some people say that Christianity and faith is not logical, but here Paul puts a logical argument there. First in verse 13 he said that no resurrection, so even then Christ has not been raised. So if you don't believe that the resurrection of the dead happens for people, then Christ has not been raised as well. To accept that Christ has been raised and to deny a general bodily resurrection is to take away from the gospel that they accepted. They compartmentalised that it was all right for Jesus to die, but not all right and to die and to be resurrected, but it wasn't all right for them. So Paul follows on with a logical sequence that says, what Paul and the other had done in preaching is useless. 
So this brings Paul and the gospel message into question. Then the consequences of the gospel the Corinthians accepted is useless to their faith. For what they accepted is under false pretenses. And the outcome of that is dire. Verse 15, Paul reinforces this with the point that Paul and the other apostles are false witnesses about God who raised Christ from the dead. Then if Christ is not raised, then the dead are not raised. Verse 16 reiterates this point by turning it around the other way. Very clever the way Paul puts the argument. And first he said, if Christ is not raised, um, then the dead are not raised. So Paul then turns it around in the next one to reiterate and said, then if the dead have not been raised, then Christ has not been raised. Then Paul drives home the point in verse 17 by taking the resurrection out of the gospel, they are still in their sins. So to compartmentalise and to split the gospel up, then you have not accepted what Jesus has done, you have not accepted, and then you are still in your sins. This argument is a testament to the pitfalls of denying one part of the gospel over the rest. Jesus died for our sins to defeat sin and Satan. He was buried, so the truth is that he died a mortal death. And that in the end, if that is the end, then there is no future at all. Verses 18 and 19, Paul finishes off this part of his argument by pointing out that those who have died in Christ are lost. And the implication that is, is um, all we have in this life is all that we have. If we're that set when we die, we'll be pitied of all men. Paul lays it on the line then in verses 20 to 22. His opening statement is, Christ has been raised from the dead. Can't be more emphatic than that, can you? By making this point that death came through a man and compared with the resurrection of the dead, comes also through a man. Reinforces the point that Jesus in his humanity, Jesus in his humanity, and that it was this human Jesus that died on the cross and rose again. By doing this, he's telling the Corinthians that it is flesh and blood that they are too to be raised in the resurrection body. Paul tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If we look at the first fruits in the context of the Old Testament, uh, we looked at the first fruits was the bringing of the first part of the crops or your stock and giving them as your 10% or your tithe to be given back to God. And then everything after that, uh, God was able to bless and to use and to do that. But we look at the first fruits in, in this um, in this context, it could be seen that the first fruit was that Jesus was the first of many to be resurrected. We do see in the, in the scriptures cases or, of people being brought back from the dead. So Jesus was not the first one that was brought back from the dead, was he? We look back in the Old Testament, we see Elisha and the uh, Schumann woman and her son. This woman had no children and then Elisha visited her. She had a son and this, this son died. And then Elisha was able to go bodily on him and he, went, he came back from the dead. See, Jesus um, walking through the town and there's a, a funeral going on, this widow of Nain, and her son was raised from the dead on that funeral procession. So once again, that's another one that was raised from the dead. And the most famous story that we know of and uh, which we often quote is when Lazarus was raised from the dead. He'd been there for four days. And as his sister said to him, 
you open the tomb and it's going to smell because that bloke's been in there and the body's starting to rot. So this is death. So it wasn't just someone who'd fallen asleep. This bloke was dead. So they got to the point that um, Jesus was able to raise him from the dead. It was worth noting there that Martha had confidence that uh, Lazarus was going to be raised from the dead in the resurrection. So within the Jewish faith, they did have faith in the resurrection and that Lazarus one day would come to be. But Jesus said, no, this is for my glory or for my Father's glory at this time. So the difference between uh, Jesus rising and being the first fruits and the other is that firstly that these people, the son and the others and Lazarus, all died again. So they went back into the ground and their bodies continued to rot. But Jesus was taken back to heaven alive, wasn't he? Remember, we, we hear that in Acts, at Jack, at Acts chapter 1 where Jesus was taken bodily to be with his father and they looked up into heaven and he went to there. But the second most important point here is that Jesus was, was um, raised in a new imperishable body. The body that um, the others had been raised uh, from and then went back to was not the imperishable body. So this is why Jesus is the first fruit of many. Verse 23 looks forward to Christ's return and the first fruits and takes each of those who have died in Christ with him in their new bodies. So we'll have a look a little bit further on in, in January at the rest of the passage from Corinthians and uh, the Corinthians are asking about what sort of body we're going to be looking at and it's an imperishable body that Jesus was taken back to be with his father that he's talking about. So next, Paul turns his tack a little bit from 24 to 28 and talks of Jesus as a mediator. So he's the one that sits at the right hand of the Father. So to quote Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage, part of this passage, and he says it's better than I could put together. The argument implies in all these particulars that our Saviour rose from the dead to have power put into his hand and have to administer a kingdom as mediator. For this end he died and rose and revived that he might be Lord to both the living and the dead. That's the first reason. Second, in this mediatorial kingdom is to have an end, at least as far as concerned in bringing the people safely to glory and subduing all his or their enemies. Then comes the end. That is not to have an end till all opposing power have been put down and all enemies brought unto his feet. That among other enemies, death must be destroyed or abolished as powers over its members to be disannulled. Thus far the apostle is expressed, but he leaves us to make the inference that therefore the saints must rise, and listen to this, we might go in, that the saints must rise, else death and the grave would have power over them. Nor would our Saviour's kingly power prevail against the last enemy of the people and to annul its power. Now it's all part of God's plan that when the saints are raised, that the power of death will then be abolished or annulled. When the saints shall live again and die no more then, and not until then, will death be abolished, which must be brought um, about after our Saviour's mediatorial kingdom is delivered up. So that's the final kingdom, the final time in future when uh, Christ has come again, gone back to be with his Father and takes his saints to be with him at the last resurrection. 
and, we, and that must in due time. The saints, therefore, shall live again and die no more. This is the safety of and hallelujah to that in that, that one day that we're going to live again and die no more. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth. So Matthew Henry goes on for a bit further, but we won't um, go along with his argument there. All right, we'll come to the point now of verse 29. What is Paul going on about being baptised for the dead? Um, I don't recall any of our teaching over the past eight years or in my 40-odd years in, um, in church and since I've known Christ, I've heard about being baptised for the dead. But Paul has a reason for bringing us up to it. So is he advocating that this should be something that's happening or is there another reason for his reference to it? So once again we go back to the commentators who have put forward many reasons for this practice from being baptised vicariously, that's an old-fashioned word, vicariously, which has been baptised in the place of those that have died because some of the thought was that uh, if someone hasn't been baptised and they die, then they may not be able to, to get further along to heaven. And there's still that teaching going on in some of the churches today. So they've been baptised vicariously in the practice. Um, also, that uh, that may have been taken from a town which is a little bit north of Corinth where they were baptised in the sea for the dead. So once again, they may have been grabbing something locally and putting it within the church again. But the bottom line is Paul's thought is important enough to put the argument on the resurrection for the dead within this passage. So it's not a vital part of it, but it is a part of his, um, his argument to be able to say that even the pagans are doing this sort of thing. What a few commentators agree in is that those were, uh, were those in the church that were practising baptism for the dead. Now, Paul did not condone this practice, whatever reason it was for, but they would use the word they, not us, they were doing this baptism for the dead. So this practice was not Christian, but was from another source. So it wasn't a practice about being baptised for the dead was high, Paul was highlighting here, but to further point out the teaching of some that there was no resurrection from the dead at all and this practice had no validity. So Paul comes back once again to the futility of it all. If the dead are not raised uh, in the next few verses. So why has Paul been uh, doing what he's been doing? Why has he been preaching where he's been preaching? He gives the um, example of being in Ephesus and... Um, the preaching there and he was said he actually fought um, beasts in Ephesus. These may not have been real beasts, but uh, he was in strife, he was nearly run out of town, he was nearly stoned, there was all sorts of things that happened there. So these relate to the different persecutions that Paul and his companions faced in an ugly uh, crowds in Acts 4 to Acts 19. This would have been possibly fresh in Paul's writing because he was writing to the Corinthians from Ephesus at the time. So his frustration is... Um, what Isaiah wrote uh, earlier on, and this is in verse 32. So, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Similar to um, what Solomon had to say in Ecclesiastes, isn't it? All is vanity. So, why am I doing this? Why am I preaching these words? Why am I doing this for God if it's not the real deal? Let us drink and eat, for tomorrow we die. As he said earlier in the verse, for merely reasons, human reasons is what he has gained. His time of preaching the gospel was futile, as he pointed out earlier in the passage. Paul wraps up this part of the chapter, admonishing those who are teaching that resurrection of the dead does not happen. 
And this teaching was sin. What they were teaching was sin. And they were ignorant of God. And some of these may not have even been believers at all. Remember when I spoke on the Lord's Supper a while ago, Paul admonished the Corinthians for the, some of the teaching that they brought in for the, the Lord's Supper, some of the things that they were doing then by not fellowshipping with each other and not being uh, there. So Paul admonishes them again for doing that. To sum it up, the Christians here have distorted the gospel by denying the bodily resurrection and by doing so have denied that Christ rose from the dead. So by doing this, they've denied the same gospel they accepted in verse chapter, in first one of the chapter. The gospel cannot be dissected in this way. And to do this is to deny the other parts of the gospel, such as Jesus' atoning death on the cross and his physical burial. So today when we look in this passage, we can take one thing from it, to be aware of what is being taught in regards to the gospel of Jesus. As a church, we value teaching from the scriptures. But if we have a look at what the Bereans were doing, and they were doing and they were looking at each thing and they were discerning what it was, not just to accept everything that is, is we hear, not only from here, whether it be on the radio or whatever it might be, not just to accept these things as truth, but to look and to discern them ourselves so that not only we only grow in our faith, but also that the gospel that we preach is the right gospel that we're preaching. So the Corinthians knew that the resurrection was going to happen one day. And that's something to look forward to, and we're looking forward to that too. And we're in a real position that, uh, yeah, one day we're going to have a, a body, a new body, and you know what, this one's not going to be as bad as it was, and it's going to be brand new, and it's going to work. And that's a thing to say hallelujah for. But Jesus has died on the cross and he's redeemed, and he has redeemed his people already by doing that act and defeated sin and he's defeated Satan by that act of dying on the cross. Jesus has risen from the dead and defeated death, being until the first fruit um, to rise from the dead. But we saw his death and not until, ultimately will not be defeated until his return, his return and the saints who have died go to heaven in their imperishable bodies. Likewise, we still sin in these mortal bodies in the broken world. That's something that's inherent in our, our nature. So there's not much we can do about it. We can only trust God and trust Christ to be able to do that. So we're in the tension of now, but not yet. We live as the same as the, Christian, as the Corinthians did. That was the start of the last days when uh, Jesus died, rose again, and the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. The last days started then and continues that. So we are living in the same last days as they were. If we look back, we can look at the, uh, the uh, apostles and the others that were looking for Jesus' return even then, and we are too. So we're in the now, but not yet, in this broken world of sin. We're in an age between creation and recreation when, once again, everything will be perfect. As God created in the start, and everything will be perfect. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll dwell in that new heaven and new earth. But while we live in this time, we have to look forward to what will happen in the future with hope. And that's the only way we can do it, isn't it, by living where we are today and the things that are going on in the world. So the gospel, we have hope in the gospel. When we've, we have been redeemed, and as a consequence of Jesus' death, 
burial and resurrection have been justified and sanctified. We are ready to be taken back to be with him. By the gospel, we can live day by day in this broken world with the hope that Jesus gives us. When we proclaim the gospel, we can bring hope to the broken world of those that anyone that's outside of this um, four walls, six walls, eight walls, how many there are. It is by the gospel that we have a relationship with God and we have a relationship one with another. Our take-home today is the same as last week. The gospel is enough. Jesus has risen from the dead. We have hope for today and a future in this gospel. And we say hallelujah to that.